This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, book lovers. I am Taylor, a.k.a. the bird from Kiwi the Bird. And today I am very excited to announce and present our top three scary story submissions for our scary story contest. If you didn't know, we hosted a short scary story contest all the way back in September, where writers had until October 25th to submit their gloriously scary pieces. We have now read over all of your ghoulishly amazing submissions and have selected our three favorites. Now, we need all of your help in choosing your favorite story, the spookiest story, the most spine-chilling, tingling story, the freakiest story, the one that made you gasp, the one that made you close your eyes in fear, the one that made you feel dread in your heart and soul. Thus, I am going to read our three picks, where I'll include the title of the story and their author, and then it's up to you all to vote. We've attached an anonymous voting link in the description of this episode, where each story will be listed and you will be able to select your favorite. If you are a part of the contest, we ask that you vote for a story that is not your own. The voting will be open until October 31st, Halloween itself, I can't believe it's so close, and it will stay open until midnight on Halloween. So, be sure to listen and pick a winner. And of course, before we begin, we want to give a very huge thank you to everyone who submitted to this contest. It was so incredibly hard to choose just three stories. All of you are so talented and imaginative and you have tension and timing and you have such wonderful ideas and you were giving us shivers and goosebumps and you totally put us in the Halloween mood. So thank you so much for submitting. We appreciate it so much and we really hope that you have a wonderful spooky season. Now, our first story is called The Toilet Terror by Michelle. Thank you for submitting, Michelle. And here is the story. It was your average Tuesday night. Lily put on her pajamas and brushed her teeth. As her mother entered the bathroom, Lily handed her a hairbrush and her favorite orange scrunchie. As her mother brushed Lily's long, silky auburn hair, she crinkled her nose and asked, What's that smell? Lily, how many times have we been over this? You have to flush the toilet every time, even if it's just number one. Embarrassed, Lily confessed to her mother that she's afraid to flush the toilet at night. Sounds like Banshee's screaming and feels like something is going to chase me, she admitted. Her mother explains that that's the sound the toilet makes when the water is filling back up. It's silly to be afraid of that. If you don't flush the toilet again, you're going to be in trouble. Now, off to bed. As her mother flushed the toilet and turned off the light, Lily anxiously bolted to her bed and hid under the covers until the roaring of the toilet stopped, allowing her to peacefully fall asleep. Lily awoke in the middle of the night with an urgency to use the bathroom. Nervously, she got up and crept down the hall. As she turned on the light, she winced as the brightness from the bulbs burned her eyes 
and she decided the moonlight peering through the window would be bright enough. When she turned off the light, a shadowy figure stood in front of her. She gasped and turned the light back on. A sigh of relief washed over her as she realized it was just her reflection. Mom's right, she thought. I let my imagination get the best of me. After the sweet relief of nature's call, Lily's hand went to flush the toilet. She hesitated. No, Lily, it's just the mirror. It's all in your head. Lily took a breath and flushed. The loud sound began. Lily felt anxious but told herself, it's just water. She began to relax and headed toward the sink, where the sounds of the toilet grew louder and louder until it turned into an ear-piercing scream. Lily ran frightened towards the door, but it wouldn't open. She began to bang on the door and screamed for her mother. Lily covered her ears as the pitch of the sound became overwhelming. Then suddenly the toilet lid slammed shut and everything went silent. Lily slowly uncovered her ears. She reached for the doorknob and this time it opened. Before she could leave the bathroom, she heard a soft clinking sound like ceramic lightly tapping on ceramic. She gazed back at the toilet. The lid seemed to be lifting slightly and then hitting back down onto the base of the toilet. Lily's heart pounded in her chest as she stood frozen, watching in horror. Dirty, wet fingers slowly crept their way out from underneath the lid. Lily ran to her bed as fast as she could. She covered her head with a blanket, clutching it tightly. It's only a dream! It's only a dream! She cried. The next morning, Lily, you're going to be late for school! Her mother yelled from downstairs. Frustrated, her mother went upstairs to wake her daughter. Her bed was empty, and her mother assumed she was already up. She proceeded down the hall and knocked on the bathroom door. There was no reply. A puddle of murky water began to seep from underneath the door. Her mother quickly opened the door and was met with a foul stench. Water covered every inch of the bathroom floor with a black, tar-like substance trailing from the door over to the toilet as if something was dragged. A sense of dread enveloped her as she hiked up her pants and nervously made her way to the toilet. With trembling hands, she lifted the lid to the toilet. She screamed as she saw an orange scrunchie tied around long, auburn hair floating up from the drain of the toilet. The End One of my favorite things about this submission was one, the the title, Toilet Terror. It's so memorable. It stays in your mind. And I love that the story preys on an experience and a sound that we've all heard. You know, a toilet flushing, a toilet running. It's such a specific sound. And I feel like when you think about it, it does sound really eerie, especially at night. It kind of has a really weird tone to it. It almost has kind of those atmospheric sound effects that scary movies have. And so I loved that the author of the story took that sound and created such a good sense of dread around the situation. And the fact that we kind of get a little Samara crawling out of the TV, toilet, dirty hands creeping out from underneath the toilet reveal. I thought that was such a scary image to have in one's head. And I thought it was just a really fun, spooky story. 
And now I am scared to flush my own toilet. So a wonderful thank you and a wonderful applause to the author and to the story, which is again called The Toilet Tear. Now our second story is called It Was a Nice Day by Cheyenne Summer. Thank you so much for submitting, Cheyenne. Now, here's the story. Chapter 1 Reese Williams has been reported missing. Felt too big of a statement for the small apartment this early in the morning. Tristan turned her attention to the television screen as the bright-eyed anchorwoman continued in the practice voice of that profession. A picture in the upper right-hand corner of the screen revealed a young woman with wavy, dirty blonde hair. She wore an incredible smile, and it made Tristan sick to her stomach. Authorities tell us Reese's friend, Molly Jenkins, was the one to call in about the 20-year-old's disappearance when she didn't return home to the apartment the two share in Springfield. Another young, blonde-haired woman appears on the screen now, Molly. She looks tired, the bags under her eyes a bit purple in color. Reese was supposed to be home around midnight. She was going to a party with a group of our other friends. I didn't really worry at first. I I thought she may have just got caught up in the moment or something. We're young. You know how it is. She gave a small smile. But I knew something was wrong when there was still no word from her this morning. You know, texted or called or, I don't know, sent a messenger dove for all I care. She feigned a laugh trying to use humor to hide how anxious she actually was, it seemed. I tried to tell myself not to panic. Maybe she just fell asleep and forgot. But when I called our friends, they... Molly started to break. Tears were filling her eyes, and it was getting more difficult to keep her composure. Tristan could see that. They all said she had left early, around ten. It was out of her control now. Tears ran from her eyes, and her voice was broken. She's been gone all this time, and I just brushed it off. I should have gone with her. I should have been with her. I should have... I. The anchor woman came into view again, the professional facade breaking as her bright eyes dimmed. Reese's picture was there again, too. Anyone with information about Reese Williams or her disappearance is advised to call 911 immediately. It has been nine hours since Reese was last seen. Authorities are working diligently to uncover the truth of what happened to her. Until then, I am Kendra Lane of Channel 7 News. Thank you for tuning in. The outro was cut off with the television itself. Ugh, come on, not again. Tristan slapped the remote in her hand and aimlessly pressed the power button several times before throwing the remote on the couch next to her. She sighed before getting up and heading into the kitchen to put away the remainder of breakfast. The photo of the girl on the television kept coming back to Tristan throughout the day. She was there on the way to work, and the faces of the customers she served. The people she passed by in the grocery store had her hair or her smile. People didn't go missing in Springfield. It just didn't happen. And though she would never admit it, late October left Tristan feeling vulnerable anyway. She jumps at noises she wasn't expecting, sees darkness in the eyes of strangers, never leaves her back turned for too long. Now, the clouds never seem to part and a girl her age has disappeared. It's wrong. It's all wrong. It was safe to say Tristan was properly scared now, and had the right to be. It was no longer just superstition. That's why, when she goes to bed that night, 
The light switch stays pointing toward the ceiling. Chapter 2, Part 1 Tristan, a voice whispered. Her name sounded distant in her dazed state, not fully awake. Tristan, whispered the voice again. When she opened her eyes, a wave of fear came crashing over her. She did not wake in the same place she fell asleep. As all of the air in the world seemed to escape through a break in the atmosphere, Tristan tried to slow her rapid breathing and take in her surroundings. There wasn't much to see. It looked like an abandoned cabin, smaller than her apartment and furnished with even less. Dust fills the dark air that surrounds her. It's difficult to compose herself, to make sense of her jumbled thoughts. She closes her eyes. In and out, in and out, she repeats. She holds onto that singular, coherent thought among the flood of incoherent others in her mind. Slowly but surely, the repetition steadies her breathing. When she opens her eyes again, she locks her eyes on something she wishes she wouldn't have. Managing her breath now is a lost cause. Tears stain her cheeks and she gets up from the cold floor. Please, please, she whispers to herself, silently hoping this isn't what she thinks it is. She slowly makes her way over to the opposite side of the room. She kneels down before, hesitantly reaching out. The crack in the ceiling lets through a sliver of moonlight. She feels the thickness of it. It looks black, but Tristan knows what this is. The question is, whose is it? She's not sure she wants to know the answer. It's mine. Tristan turns so quickly, she almost falls into the pool of red, black in the moonlight. She's met with a face that is all too familiar as of late, and it makes her skin crawl. You're the girl that's missing. Tristan takes in the other girl's appearance. Her hair is disheveled, and her dress is shredded. Blood runs down the left side of her face, and cuts and bruises scatter across her bare skin. I'm Ree. Reese Williams. Yeah, I know. After a moment, and the change in Reese's face, Tristan says, Sorry, I'm just extremely on edge right now. Reese nods. Understandably so. Tristan hesitates to ask the question, fearful of the answer, but she figures that it's expected when you wake up in the middle of nowhere with a girl whose face is all over the news, only now covered in bruises and blood. Where are we? You're currently sleeping in apartment 2B in Springfield. I, unfortunately, am lying on the forest floor about a mile from this cabin. Her statement would almost be laughable if it weren't for the current circumstances, the way she says it so nonchalantly. Like what she said isn't life-altering. How? What? I... Tristan asks without actually asking anything. She feels dizzy and is worryingly close to passing out, she thinks. She feels Reese put a hand on her shoulder and lead her away from the blood on the floor. Sit down, Tristan. Her touch is comforting. As odd as it may be, she feels like the only thing keeping Tristan steady, like the anchor that prevents her from being lost to the vicious thoughts in her mind completely. Tristan does as she was told and sits on the cold floor again, and Reese removes her hand. I never told you my name. You didn't have to, Reese says. How do you know who I am? Where I live? The simplest explanation is that you're dreaming. This, Tristan looks around, referring to everything, isn't real? Her eyes fall on the light brown eyes staring back at her. You're not real? 
Not exactly. I am real. I have a real body that is really lying on the forest floor out there. Reese looks to the wall of the cabin behind Tristan. But this, she gestures between the two of them, isn't. If I'm dreaming, then that explains how you, or the image of you, knows where I am, who I am. But how do I know where you are? I don't know who you are outside of a news broadcast I saw on the TV this morning. I'm afraid I don't have an answer to that question, Reese says. There must be a reason. Maybe, but that is not one that I am aware of, myself. I'm sorry. Tristan looked up at Reese. She looked sad, lost. You don't have to apologize for what happened to you. I'm sorry if I made you feel like you did. Reese gives Tristan a weak smile before a loud scratching noise outside the cabin captures both of their attention. What was that? Tristan whispers. Tristan could see the fear in Reese's eyes when she whispered back. I think it's come back. Reese, what's come back? The thing that killed me. Everything seemed to stop. It was quiet. Too quiet. And then, in an instant, it was all too loud. Screaming filled the small room, coming from both girls as the thing that killed Reese came back, hungry for more. Dark, soulless eyes scoured the room before Tristan was being pulled away and into another room. There's a window in here, Reese says. We need to get through it and run. Words failed her, but Tristan did as Reese told her to. As soon as her feet hit solid ground, she was running. She took a second to look back and was horrified to see Reese had gone, completely disappeared. That's why she almost jumped out of her skin when she felt another's hand grab her own. How? This is a dream, remember? Reese said. Tristan nodded like that made sense. Like this wasn't terrifying. Like everything was completely fine and there wasn't an unnatural being chasing her and a dead girl. She couldn't help but look back again. Doing so proved to be unhelpful. The being was gaining on them, covered in the blood of its victims and foaming at the mouth with want for more. Before she knew what was happening, Tristan was falling to the ground. A sharp pain that shot all the way up her arm made Tristan see white. She blinked away what she could before turning around, holding her right arm to her chest as blood ran down from the fresh wound. Reese? She crawled the small distance that separated her from the girl lying on the ground. She shook her shoulder and was horrified to see the life drain from Reese's eyes when her body rolled over. No! Tristan began to sob. No, no, no. Reese, please wake up. She shook her harder. Please. She knew it was useless, but the fear of being alone with the creature in these woods pushed any rational thinking aside. Please don't leave me alone, she silently pleaded. Oh, but Tristan, you're not alone, was the last thing she heard before it all went dark. Chapter 2 Part 2 Tristan opened her eyes. She recognized the ceiling above her. The mural that her sister painted for her was still her favorite thing to wake up to. The four tacks that pinned it in each corner were placed with intricate attention to detail, blending into the starry space that it depicted almost seamlessly. Her sister was an incredible artist, and waking up to her universe every morning brought a sense of peace in the agony of losing the person that created it. This time was different though. The small moment of bliss quickly faded into a terrifying realization. Tristan couldn't move. 
She could move her eyes, recognize the things that made where she lived a home, a sanctuary, a safe place. But she wasn't safe now. She was the furthest from any of those things. A sanctuary, a safe place, home. She managed to look forward and wish to God that she hadn't, for she was met with the same soulless eyes that haunted her dreams. She fought with all she had against the invisible force that held her down to the bed and paralyzed her body. She fought and lost. Please, she screamed up to the sky as tears that burned like acid filled her eyes and ran down her face. Go away! Her sobs filled the air around her, but it was drowned out by the pounding in her ears. The thing that stalked towards her appeared as only an outline of the creature it once was to her tear-stained eyes. It was a figure of a shadow, consuming all of the light in the universe. All of the light in Tristan's universe, anyway. She was tempted to just give into it. She could feel herself fading with everything around her. She looked up at the painting on the ceiling. Tristan. Amanda? Amanda? She could recognize her sister's voice anywhere. You need to wake up. It's okay, we can be together again. Tristan could feel the pressure behind her eyes building even more, threatening to spill over and add to the flood on the pillar beneath her head. I just want to be able to hug you and tell you about everything like we used to. I know I miss you too. Don't worry, Atlas. When the time comes, my arms will be open for the only star I wish to hold. Tristan could see the face that resembled her own, framed with dark brown hair and dotted with eyes so blue they pierced through the dark, smiling down at her now could feel the weight of her sister sitting beside her on the bed. Amanda reached out a hand to wipe away Tristan's tears. The time will come, Tristan, I promise. And I will look forward to it every day until then. But that time is not now. I need you to wake up for me, understand? Tristan nodded, still feeling her sister sitting beside her. As she closed her eyes, she felt that comforting weight disappear. I'll see you later, Atlas. Chapter 3, Part 1 Tristan hasn't slept in three days. Every time she feels her eyelids drag, threatening to close, she relives everything that happened that night. Reese and Amanda. The bruises she woke up with. The blood on her sheets from the gash on her arm and the open wound on her head. The stitches she had to get to stop the bleeding and the story she had to make up an explanation for how she got them. What once was an escape from the world in which she lived, now there was nothing that terrified her more than going to sleep. But she could feel it coming. She knew she couldn't avoid the human necessity forever. Tristan needed answers too, she knew that. Does what happened in her dream translate to the real world? Is Reese really dead in the woods outside of a cabin? Tristan needs to know if she can trust the figment of her imagination that is the missing girl in the photos on screen. If she can get an exact location, maybe she can find her. Or she can go to the police and they can find her. Maybe they'll actually believe her then, when she has an exact location. Tristan turned off the lights this time as she made her way to the bed. Electric currents and the heating of electrons weren't going to save Tristan from whatever hell she's found herself in the middle of. She closed her eyes for the first time in three days. And as sleep took over, so did the darkness she so desperately tried to avoid. Inevitability can be a real pain in the ass. Chapter 3 Part 2 You're back. Tristan met with the same brown eyes she had met for the first time in a dark cabin several nights ago. 
Figment of her imagination or not, Reese's gaze felt real. Tristan held on to that. So are you. What do you mean? You were dead, Reese. Tristan sounded angry. She knew that. I am dead, Tristan. Yeah, I, I know that. But you were there with me. I could feel your hand in mine. You let go. Tristan's words sounded accusatory, and they stung. And then you were... She gestured to the ground in front of them. You weren't alive anymore. Your body was so cold. A chill ran up her spine. No, I, I didn't. Let go, I mean. I can't control what's happening any more than you can. I wish I could. That depleted look washed over Reese's face again, and guilt flooded over Tristan. She huffed out a sigh. True sincerity filled her voice as she spoke. Look, I'm sorry, okay? It's selfish for me to be angry at you. I was the one that left you. Reese's brows furrowed. I kept myself awake for three days in my world because I was too afraid of what might happen to be in yours. Oh, Reese let out a small laugh. What? What's so funny? Reese barely stifled another laugh before she said, Forgive me, it's just that time doesn't exactly work like that here. I should be thankful for that, I suppose. The difference between three seconds and three days here is very little. Hmm. Weird. Very. The silence that interrupted the flow of their conversation at that point gave Tristan's mind time enough to let realization hit. She looked around her, up at the trees that pierced the night sky like daggers, and the moon that lit the area just enough to make out her surroundings. Where are we? You don't recognize it? When Tristan shook her head, Reese made sure to be careful with her next words. Well, as much as she could for stating. This is where I died. Last time. Your body? Reese nods her head. The panic was still there, sure. How could it not be? But Tristan found that the fear dulled at knowing she was not the one brutally murdered by an unknown creature. Sadness and guilt simultaneously replaced some of the crushing feeling in her chest and filled it with something she might be able to control. Reese? Yes? You know how it's theorized that ghosts exist because the person it once was has unfinished business? I suppose so, yes. When Tristan saw that Reese didn't quite understand why she was asking, she asked her another question. Do you have unfinished business? Something you want? Is there something that's not letting you move on? I'm not a ghost, Tristan, Reese laughs. No. But there has to be an explanation for why you're haunting me in my dreams. Tristan can see she struck another nerve. Ah, no, don't do that again. Tristan crossed the short distance between them and grabbed Reese's hand. There's no need to feel guilty. She tilted the other woman's face up with the crook of her forefinger so she could meet her saddened gaze. Tristan smiled slightly, trying to ease Reese's worry. I'm just trying to figure out how to help you. Reese nodded her head. Okay. She said weakly. Thank you. You can thank me later. Right now I need you to think. Why might this be happening to us? To you? I suppose there is something I want. And that is? Reese looked Tristan in the eyes as she said, I want to be found. Chapter 4, Part 1 The weeks that followed felt excruciatingly long. Tristan's life has become a painstaking routine. 
She goes to bed at night and wakes every morning with physical evidence on her body of what she went through behind closed eyes and an unconscious mind. She tries to cover it up, but people have started to wonder. She doesn't miss the pitiful glances from her co-workers, though she pretends to. After about a week and a half, she started calling in sick more and more frequently. In that time, she's been able to see Reese more often. They meet in the same place every night, that same spot in the forest, between daggering trees and glistening moonlight. Forest floor covered in crimson that belongs to a girl she's starting to connect with, outside of their literal connection. It's been a while since Tristan's had a friend. It's unfortunate knowing with absolute certainty that this friendship could never last. She asks Reese all sorts of questions. Questions that might help Tristan find Reese, and therefore help free the both of them from this recurring nightmare, as much as is physically possible. But she also asks personal questions too, like, Do you have a favorite book? In which Reese answered, I did. Care to share with the class? Not necessarily. And sometimes Reese would even ask her questions. They became a bit of a guilty pleasure. They didn't come very often for fear of prying, was Reese's reasoning, but Tristan actually liked opening up to the other. It's been almost six years since she's felt comfortable enough to openly talk with someone else, and it was something to cherish when she knew what awaited them at some point during the night. Reese mostly asked questions that Tristan had already asked her. Do you have a favorite book? Hmm, I don't really read much. Now that I don't like to, I've just never really had the time for it. Reese to accept the answer as it was. She didn't ask any follow-up questions. She rarely does. After three weeks had passed, talk of Reese on the news was sparse. It was now mid-November, and talk of the holiday season became the priority, it seemed. Reese was still labeled missing, but after so long, everyone just assumed the worst. That she was dead. It's terrible knowing that she is, but nobody else except Tristan knew the nauseating truth. Tristan tried to go to the police, but they blew her off. Honestly, she couldn't blame them. What she was saying sounded crazy, and maybe it was, but that didn't make it any less of the truth. When Reese and Tristan were able to compose an exact location, or an exact location within a five-mile radius at least, she told Reese she would try going to the police again, but she told her that wouldn't do any good. It might do harm, actually. How would going to the police again hurt anything? They're most they're going to do is tell me to leave, and newsflash, Reese, they've already done that. You told me they already think you're crazy. Jeez, Reese, a bit harsh. In your own words, she enunciated every syllable, making it clear it was not she who thought that. And you wear a fresh wound every time you leave your apartment. Yeah, and we both know why. Yes, exactly. We know why. What might the police think if the woman they think to be... Tristan raised an eyebrow, mentally unstable, came back a third time, painted with bruises and cuts, and told them an exact location for where they should expect to find a dead body. Oh. Right. I don't want you framed for murder on top of what you've already been going through. I've accepted my fate. I'm not going to be found. We just need to figure out a way for you to move on with your life. If my unfinished business, as you say, never gets finished... I don't know how to cut whatever it is that tethers you to me. That's why, approximately a month later in the middle of December, Tristan finds herself in a cabin in the woods. The line between this universe and the equivalent to it 
that's only ever been real to one person has begun to blur. The colors of reality and pigmentation bleed together in this painting. But who's to say which is which? Chapter 4, Part 2 No one ever warns you about how loud the sirens on police cars are as they pull up next to you, or about how blinding the flashing red and blue lights can be. Tristan's hands shielded her eyes as a policeman came into view. I assume you're the person that called about blood in the cabin? Asked the middle-aged officer that greeted her first. I am, yes. Hi, I'm Officer Wiley and this is my partner. He gestured to the younger, curly-haired woman beside him. She nodded an introduction and extended a hand. Nice to meet you. I'm Officer Trizand. Tristan shook the woman's hand. And you are? My name is Tristan Reynolds. It's nice to meet you, too. If only that were true. Under different circumstances, maybe. Officer Wiley spoke next. Can you tell us about how you found this place? Tristan told the officers what she could about the cabin, without any mention of how she actually came to know of its existence. For all they knew, it was refuge from the rain that suddenly downpoured as she tried to find her way back to the trail she had wandered from during her run this morning. It wasn't the best story, but it was the best she had. She couldn't exactly tell them what had actually happened. They found Reese's body that same night, about a mile from the cabin. Tristan had become so accustomed to what played out in her head at night, she had almost no remainder of doubt left for where Reese's William's body would be found. For the little silver that still crept its way into her mind, however, it was completely erased now. The cabin was real, and so was the blood that stained the cold wooden floors. Her body was real, and found at the place where two girls met almost every night. Only, that was known by solely two people, one after life, and one within. Tristan questioned why Reese wasn't found earlier. It's not like she had been hidden, after all. It occurred to her, however, that anything and everything in life was beyond questionable. For if you asked questions, you may not receive logical or rational answers. Tristan knew that fact all too well. There was a funeral. Tristan stood on the sidelines. It didn't feel appropriate to mourn the girl of your dreams among the people who knew her in this world. She did meet a few of those people, though. Molly with her soft eyes and Reese's parents who are a reflection of all who Reese was. She didn't know Reese for very long, or at all if we're speaking technically. But in the little time that Tristan did come to know her, she was able to recognize that much. Reese's kind eyes and smile were reminiscent of her mother's. The way Reese spoke and held herself was not unlike her father. It was the closest she felt to normal and as long as she could remember. And for a moment, she did just that. Sometimes, there's beauty in pain and sadness, so long as you allow yourself to feel it. Chapter 5, Part 1 When Tristan returned home, the day began to catch up with her. Her head pounded and her body ached as she sobbed into her pillow. She didn't expect to feel this way when she made up her mind about helping Reese. She wouldn't wish to take it all back, though. It was the right thing to do, and she helped Reese move on from the torment she was forced to endure even after her time on Earth. Still, that fact didn't help dull the ache in her chest, didn't dry the tears that flooded cheap material, didn't stop her from wishing for a life with a girl in which she had never met. Eventually, her violent sobs began to fade into quiet breathing. 
The world as she knew it faded into a world of her mind's creation. No monsters, no blood, no terror. No. Tristan startled awake and had her arm at the throat of another person in the matter of seconds. Reese? It was hard to tell because only a small lamp lit the room, but she was sure it was her. It's nice to see you too, Tristan. Reese managed to get out as the arm at her throat didn't let up. She sank into the mattress with the weight of the body above her, pinning her down. Would you mind very much letting go of me? Sorry. Tristan moved her arm away like she was burned, but the distance between them stayed minimal, even as they sat up and moved to the end of the bed. It didn't work? Reese smiled. It did. Then how? Why? I came to say goodbye. I didn't get to properly thank you for all that you did for me. I'm thanking you later. What does that mean, thanking you later? It was something you said not long after we met. I... Instead of finishing her sentence, Reese tilted Tristan's head up with the crook of her finger, mimicking the motion of the girl on the receiving end this time from a time not so long ago. Remember? Reese asked in a genuine innocence, like she really did want Tristan to remember. Reese's touch felt different here. She felt real in dreams, sure, but almost vacant, like she could disappear at any second. Stability and fullness replaced that vacancy now, and the feeling of it made Tristan's skin flush. Tristan nodded. Yeah, yeah, I remember. She cleared her throat and Reese removed her hand. Silence filled the room a moment before Tristan spoke again. So, you're still... Yes, I'm still dead. But you're here. There's a passing period between life and death. I'm as real as I can be before my time expires indefinitely. Why me, though? Why didn't you visit your parents or Molly? I don't know that I could. Why not? It seems you have become familiarized with connecting with the dead. But not everyone feels the same way. Visiting them might disrupt their grieving process. At the questioning look on Tristan's face, Reese continues. Visiting them might give them hope? You already know that I am dead. You have known it since we first met. Ugh. Tristan huffs and shakes her head into the palms of her hands. You've really done a number on me, you know that? Before Reese can say anything, Tristan says, My head is killing me. And looks up at the other girl with a pitiful look. Perhaps you should lie down? Tristan's nodding and crawling back toward her pillow before Reese can finish her sentence. Good idea. Tristan closes her eyes for a moment. If this is all in her head, maybe Reese won't be there when she opens them again. Maybe she won't have to lose her twice. But when she cracks open her left eye, she sees Reese still sitting at the edge of the bed. Okay then. You don't have to just sit there. Reese turns her head to smile at Tristan. I'm okay, really. Nope, that's not going to happen. Tristan pushes herself up enough to grab Reese's arm and pull her down on the bed beside her. When they're lying face to face, she says, You know how awkward that would have been with you just sitting down there until you faded away, completely silent? I don't know. How awkward? Awkward to the point of, like, watching an explicit scene on the television with your parents awkward. Reese let out the most incredible laugh at Tristan's comment. It was unexpected, but very welcome. Tristan supposed her laugh was the most incredible sound on the planet, but she wished she had more time to hear it a million times over. As their laughter settled, the energy in the room changed. All Tristan could do was take in the girl before her. 
The lamplight carved out her features perfectly. She wore a dress that fit her effortlessly. She realized it was the same one she had only seen her in. Only now, not a spot of blood stained it. Or her. Reese looked normal, human, alive. Tristan wanted to reach out and touch her hair, her face. Was that something she could do? She wasn't sure. Before she could let her mind race any further, Reese was talking again. May I ask you a question? Tristan couldn't help but smile. Yes, you may, she teased. She didn't understand why Reese talked so eloquently, but she decided it was one of the things she liked most about her. Have you ever been kissed? Tristan, to say the least, was not expecting that. Nonetheless, she gave a satisfactory answer like she always did in their never-ending game of 21 questions. A few times, there was this boy in my 8th grade class that I had a huge crush on, Nathan. He was my first kiss. Then there were three others after that. Josh in 10th grade, Anthony senior year, and Reagan last term. The answer Tristan gave didn't seem to be the one Reese was looking for, based on the slight shift in her facial expression. She tried to quickly recruit, but Tristan saw it. She thought she might know why. Regan was the first girl I ever kissed. Reese locked eyes with Tristan then. Gender-neutral name, common mistake. She leaned in slightly and softened her voice when she said, I would know. She was smiling to herself as much as she was smiling at Reese at that moment. Reese smiled back. Have you ever been kissed? Tristan asked. Reese looked away, shyly. No. Hmm. Tristan considered this a moment. She was cautious when she brought her hand up to brush the hair aside that slightly fell into Reese's face. She could hear the inhale of her breath in the slight space between them. Tristan's hand slid down to Reese's cheek, and her thumb brushed over her lips. She whispered, Would you like to be? Reese was nodding. Yes. Okay. Tristan leaned forward slowly until she was just a breath away from her lips. You're sure? Reese felt the words more than she heard them. I don't think I've been more sure of anything ever. Okay. Tristan gently pressed her lips to Reese's, finally closing the distance between them. She was soft and warm, and her breath was alive and welcoming. She felt Reese slip her hands into her short brown hair. She moved her own to Reese's jaw and felt it move in sync with their mouths. The kisses deepened, and a certain urgency filled the short time between them. They were both grasping at each other like the other was their only sanctuary. In a way, there was some truth to that. Tristan was the first to pull away. Reese's eyes were dazed and her mouth was a light pink. Tristan was sure she wasn't much better off. She leaned in again once more to leave Reese with a deep and meaningful last kiss. It was a goodbye of sorts. She could only hope that her desperation to keep her here would be conveyed. Chapter 5, Part 2 their hands intertwined between them. Tristan and Reese fell into the pattern that formed within the short time they had known each other. Question and answer, back and forth, quiet words exchanged between the two. When's your birthday? asked Tristan. Reese sighed. I will tell you, but you have to be completely sure you want to know. I do. Why wouldn't I? Because I mean something to you now. A day that was once just like any other is going to hold meaning too. You have to be sure you are prepared for that, to feel whatever feelings may come on that same day every year. Tristan could joke about how Reese thought too highly of herself, and normally she would, but not now. 
not with so little time left. She nodded. I understand. She wasn't lying. Reese could see that. I want you to tell me. October 3rd. So you're a Libra. Makes sense. And you? Aries, April 19th. You take an interest in zodiac signs? My sister got me into it. She loved astrology. Anything and everything space-related, really. She called me Atlas because she said I was strong enough to support the weight of the universe on my shoulders. I think she may have overestimated my capabilities. Tristan laughed. Grief was still there, no doubt. But she found that she liked being able to talk about her sister with another person she cares deeply about. She was an incredible artist, too. She painted that mural up there. Reese smiled up at the ceiling. It's lovely. Your sister was very talented. She turned to look at Tristan again. May I ask what happened? She died in a car accident when I was 14. She was seven years older than me and I looked up to her like she was a star. I like to think she's among them now, all bright and beautiful like she was in life. That sounds comforting. A tear rolled down Reese's face. Maybe I'll join her. Tristan wiped the tear from Reese's cheek. I'd like to think so. Reese turned on her side and Tristan followed her lying flush against her back and wrapping her arm around her waist, hands still fitting perfectly together. This was it. This was the last time she was going to see Reese for a very long time. They both knew it and held on anyway. Until we become stars in the sky, Tristan thought. She heard the breathy laugh that escaped the girl in her arms. It was a nice day. Tristan laughed. What? It's the first line of my favorite book. It was a nice day. The end. Another fabulous submission. Thank you again so much to the author for submitting. It was a nice day. One of the things I really loved most about this submission was the fact that it really was about the bond between Tristan and Reese. Of course, you have the horror aspect. You have the mystery aspect, the dreams and the ghostliness. It still definitely has the spooky factor and the eerie factor. But I love that the heart of this story really is about these two girls and their emotions and how they're able to connect and, and, and dealing with tragedy and having someone to talk about tragedy with. I think the author did such a great job in building up their relationship and connection. And I thought that ending line was so sweet and so perfect for the title. So again, thank you. Thank you for the submission. And last but not least, our third story is called All My Troubles. By Bethany. Thank you so much for your submission, Bethany. And here is the story. Shit. What's wrong? Battery must be dead. Layton, pop the hood. You gonna check for me? Yeah, I got it. Wait, I wanna see too. Yeah, alright, Yana. Can you find the hood prop like I showed you? Got it. Nice. Layton, try starting it again. See anything? Nah, battery's fine. We weren't running low on gas, were we? Not even close. I'm going to check the tank anyway. Thanks, Cade. A beat of silence. The tank is empty. How is the tank empty? Cade rubbed the back of his neck with his right hand, squinting into the sunset. You sure we weren't low? I'm sure. We had at least half a tank. There's no way. Leighton said, unbuckling and getting out of the driver's seat of his mom's black Chevy. Convenient place, too, he added, looking around at the massive Oregon trees surrounding them on the narrow, winding mountain road. 
He watched Malia pull up the GPS on her phone. Nearest town is 14 miles that way, she said, pointing. And no gas stations before then. How'd this even happen? Everyone looked at Cade. He was the only one of the six who knew anything about cars. Don't look at me. I've never had anything like this happen. It's like somebody just siphoned all the gas out of the tank while we were peeing. Yana put her face in her hands. She'd always been vocal about her disgust of peeing outside, even when the core four had been in preschool. To be honest, Leighton was kind of glad Malia asked him to stop here, because he wouldn't have been able to make it to the nearest gross porta potty either. What are we going to do? Ariel asked, eyes beginning to fill with tears. We can't push a car 14 miles. Relax, Travis said. I'll just call AAA. We can be on our way to the cabin in a couple... He'd pull out his phone while he was talking, and he trailed off as his eyes narrowed at the screen. Sorry, I... He tapped it a few times. He looked up at the group, all out of the car now, with resignation. No service. Everybody else instantly pulled out their own phones to check. Leighton's had no bars. By the look on everyone's faces, they were in the same situation. Leighton looked to Malia, who'd used GPS just a second ago. She already had her phone to her ear, left arm crossing her chest as she paced a two-foot radius behind the hatchback. Malia shook her head and pulled her phone away from her ear. Sorry, guys. Whatever service I had a minute ago isn't enough for a call. I've got one bar and it's just not working. All right, Yana said, stuffing her phone back into her pocket. It takes about 15 minutes to walk a mile, yeah? I always got 15 when I did it in PE, so 14 miles times 15. She looked to Leighton expectantly. He rolled his eyes at the way she always deferred to him with numbers, but he did the mental math quickly. 210 minutes, three and a half hours. Right, so we start walking, check our phones regularly. We're bound to get some service before we get there, but even if not, it's not too far. It'll be way past dark by the time we get there. Ariel said, glancing at the fading pink of the sky. Leighton had always expected her to get over her fear of the dark, but it persisted into, and now past, high school. Malia's phone will probably get service back soon, Travis soothed. And then we can get to the cabin and get the party rolling. Leighton chuckled and shook his head. This end of the summer road trip was going to be their last hurrah before they all went their separate ways for college. Maybe getting stranded was the universe giving them an extra bonding experience to make sure they all stayed in touch once fall semester started. It had always been nice how quickly Travis and Malia had blended in with the group, but Leighton sometimes felt like they didn't see it that way. Travis was easier. He and Leighton hit it off immediately when he moved to their school. But Malia's entrance freshman year happened at a bit of a rocky moment, after Cade and Yana's first failed attempt at dating. She found her niche with them, though, and everyone loved her. Leighton glanced at Ariel. She was watching Malia take charge with fascination, and Leighton's mouth twitched into a smile. Maybe getting stranded would make those two finally make a move, or maybe it was all just a random occurrence. Leighton didn't put much weight into cosmic coincidences. Once the group started walking, the sun seemed to sink more rapidly behind the mountain ahead. It looked almost fervent to get away from them. Malia pulled a Bluetooth speaker from her backpack and turned on some popular mother-mother song to block out the eerie quiet of the deserted forest road. Oh hey, I have a bar again! Malia exclaimed, tapping furiously on her phone. After a minute of holding it to her ear in silence, she lowered her hand and shook her head. Still not going through. 
Let me see if Maps is working, though, she said, shrugging. After a few moments, her eyebrows shot up. Can't make any calls, but I can use GPS. There's a shortcut just up there that I'll shave like an hour from our walk. Sweet, Travis said, jogging up next to her. She slipped her phone back into her pocket and strode to the head of the party, leading on. Ariel shuffled up to Molly and asked, What kind of shortcut? At the back of the group, Leighton could hardly hear her, but he could tell her voice was shaking. Malia put her toned arm around Ariel's quivering shoulders. We're going to have to go through the woods a while, but we'll be fine. We've got our backpacks and everything, and bears don't even attack people, really. Unless we provoke them, which we won't. It'll be okay, I promise. Are you sure it's a good idea to go through the woods? It's already pretty dark out and your phone might lose service at any point, Leighton pointed out. Malia turned to him, walking backward for a moment. I took a screenshot of the directions, so if we lose service, we'll be fine. Plus, there's trails. She seemed confident enough in her navigation abilities, and nobody else raised any objections. Leighton stuffed his hands into his pockets and followed. The woods took the already darkening sky and smothered it. Leighton was suddenly glad for Malia's Bluetooth, still playing Mother Mother, as it drowned out the stillness surrounding them. He wondered if that was the only band whose music she had downloaded on her phone. She still led the way, arm around Ariel, with Travis trailing close behind them, probably hoping for a turn comforting Ariel. Leighton followed Cade and Yana, who were holding hands but not speaking. The skin of Yana's knuckles stretched white in Cade's hand. Good lord, why am I using my phone flashlight? Yana suddenly burst. I'm at like 10%. Guys, use your real flashlights. Don't let our phones die, she said, swinging her backpack over her shoulder and rifling through it. Oh, shit, good point, Malia agreed, switching off her music, especially if I'm most likely to get service first. We didn't bring flashlights, Travis snapped. Who uses real flashlights? Even as he said it, he flicked off his phone and put it in his back pocket. Soon, Yana's was the only light the group had to see by. She and Cade migrated to the front of the group to slice through the darkness ahead. The sudden loss of light and music pulled a sheath of wool over Leighton's ears. He strained for signs of harmless life, but the woods lay silent. No birds to shoo away the darkness, just the sounds of their own footsteps crunching on the skinny path they followed deeper and deeper into the dominion of trees. Guys, Ariel's voice skittered across the wind. Is everyone just ignoring how we lost the gas? A mosquito landed on Leighton's exposed arm. Like, how could it be gone unless someone stole it? He felt a little pinch. He smacked the fat insect. A tiny burst of blood smeared onto his hand. Nobody spoke. What if someone wanted us stranded? Wanted us in these woods? Half an hour ago, Kate would have told her she was being paranoid. But with the leaves rustling and the oppressive summer air, and the single shaft of light, and the cracking of twigs underfoot, no one contradicted her. They just walked on in loaded silence. After ten more minutes, Yana's flashlight flickered. Another ten, and it went out. The world was pitch black. Nobody screamed, but Leighton could hear a wiggling whimper waft away from the middle of the group, where Ariel was now. Leighton couldn't whimper. He couldn't speak, even if he tried. The knight had reached a hand inside his chest and gripped. Everyone pulled out their phones to find that the extended use throughout the day, coupled with the heat of August, had drained every single one. 
In the darkness, Leighton felt a cool hand slip into his and squeeze. He wasn't sure who had made their way beside him, but was glad for the comfort of human touch. He squeezed back, grateful to whichever friend he was holding, but suddenly felt a yank as the hand pulled him backwards so hard his shoulder gave a pop and set a scream of pain up his neck. Whoever had him didn't even need to cover his mouth because the terror of it all kept his jaw wired shut in shock. He didn't even have time to register what was happening before a swift twist set him sprawling on the dwindling trail with barely a thud. At the front of the group, Travis finally wriggled his matchbox out of his jeans pocket and scraped a match on the side. It lit with a pop and a hiss, flaring light on a small circle of space for a few short seconds before stinging his thumb and forefinger with a sizzle. He jumped back with a sharp inhale, dropping the match as the flame petered out. Oh, I'm so stupid. Wait, Yana said. I might have another flashlight. Travis could hear her backpack zipper and the skittering sound of searching through it. Just remembered some of my dad's gear was in the bottom of this bag before I took it. Sure enough, a moment later found a click and the force flared to life again. Yana threw her arms around Cade in celebration, but Travis's eyes snagged on Malia and Ariel at the back of the clump, standing frigid in the unsteady beam of light. His eyes tracked down to what they were staring at, and all excitement from the success whooshed out of him as the sight took a mean left hook to his lungs. Just past the line of Yana's flashlight on the path lay Leighton, neck twisted at a sharp angle, eyes bulging from his head. Travis's best friend dead. A sharp screech pierced the thick air as Ariel finally unfroze and fell to her knees in front of the body. Yana's flashlight found its way to Leighton, and she gasped, slumping into Cade's arms with a hand over her gaping mouth. Cade stood stock straight, gripping Yana's side and staring transfixed at his dead friend. What? Travis began. What the hell? He couldn't move, couldn't compute what was happening. Leighton couldn't be dead. This couldn't be real. Malia pulled Ariel to her feet. We have to get out of here, she said, yanking Ariel's hand to drag her forward. There's someone out there. It's got to be whoever siphoned our gas. Travis stumbled a step backward as Malia and Ariel passed, painfully tearing his gaze from the body on the ground and turning to follow them. Cade and Yana peeled apart, and Cade unzipped his backpack with shaking hands. He dug around the bottom of the bag and carefully pulled out his father's handgun. He shot Yana a look that said, I'm sorry, and gripped the handle, pointing the gun out into the void behind them. I know you guys don't like guns, he said, walking backwards to keep up with the group, but there's a murderer out there. Malia's eyebrows narrowed. All that's going to cause is more trouble. Hell no. Gun debate's out the window now, Travis said, darting glances in every direction. Shoot anything that moves. Yana nodded despite the look of horror on her face. She'd never expected her boyfriend to secretly bring a gun to a party, but she couldn't complain now. No longer able to hold his hand for security, she joined Ariel and Malia's team. They grouped close enough to smell each other's shampoo and sweat, for Malia's frizzy hair to tickle Yana's face and Yana's ponytail to drape over Ariel's shoulder. What the hell do we do? Yana asked. Can't run ten miles? They continued stalking the path, never not looking over somebody's shoulder. Just outside the flashlight's field, a branch cracked, and Ariel shot out of Yana and Malia's bubble, streaking into the feathery darkness ahead at a full sprint. The moment she moved, the tender thread holding everyone together snapped, and suddenly they were all running, running, 
preening their feet would keep them on the forest path, skipping heartbeats every time a piece of fabric from their own clothing dared to brush against their skin. Malia dashed forward, dead leaves crunching underfoot. The wind cooled her moist forehead as she strained to see in front of her, finding herself surrounded by darkness near the back of the group. All she could hear was her heart thumping in her ears and the crackling of sticks on the path. Everyone was scattered now, sprinting at different speeds, staggered distances from each other. She pushed through the heat exhaustion, had to keep running, keep running. Kate's foot hit something heavy, something thick, and he careened it to the ground in front of it. When he looked back at what was under his leg, he could see through the water of the night a dark lump strewn across the path. He pulled his leg away from the body and groped for his gun, heart hammering, and looked closer to see that goddamn orange Tucker hat Travis always refused to take off. He scrambled to his feet. Time to mourn another friend later. He'd get out of this. He would. Backing up a few steps and turning into another sprint, he immediately collided with another body, this one upright. Cade grabbed the person's arm, counting on it being a friend and not the enemy. He didn't have time to find out. With a violent twist and sickening snap, Cade joined Travis asleep on the trail, gun tumbling out of his hand. Up ahead, Yana could hardly see five feet in front of her with the flashlight's beam bobbing erratically as she ran full speed. She tossed a glance over her shoulder to no avail. Whoever was behind her had to take care of themselves. She swiped at the tears blurring her vision and flicked the droplets off her hand into the wind streaking past her. A loud pop shook her eardrums, and Yana could swear she felt something whisk past her hair from behind. That was a gunshot, right? Did Cade get the killer? Yana yanked herself to the side and affixed her body to a tree trunk, gasping, gulping, wheezing for air. If everyone was running, then hiding would be the safest option, right? She pressed her back into the bark digging grooves into her skin and flicked off the flashlight. She squeezed her eyes shut almost as hard as she was squeezing the metal handle and counted her heartbeats. She prayed Cade would save him with that gun. Farther up the path, something sharp and hot dug itself into Ariel's shoulder. She hissed in pain and bit back yet another scream. She stumbled off the side of the path, hoping to conceal herself in the bushes before the killer could catch up to her. Crunching footsteps slowed as they approached her hiding spot. Please be Malia. Please be Malia. Please be Malia. Ariel repeated to herself. Her heart was hammering, her hands shaking, mind racing. As soon as she peeled one eye open and dared to look at the person towering over her, the shadowed form lifted one arm and released a bullet into her brain. Back at Yana's tree, the sound of a second gunshot jolted her to the unthinkable thought that maybe Cade wasn't the one shooting. Another tear joined the parade in the tracks on her cheeks, a silent expulsion of the tear clawing up her throat. The telltale signs of people running were gone now. No footsteps, no heavy breathing, no snapping twigs or whipping branches, just the rapid thump, thump, thump of the blood pumping in her ears. Maybe they all got away. Maybe they were just all too far ahead of her now to be heard. That was probably it. They were all fine. She was going to be fine. She counted to 60. Then again, she counted 10 minutes of stillness. 10 minutes of silence. The tear streaks on her cheeks were dried now. Itchy. She was afraid to move enough to wipe at them. There were hot lines in her palms where the flashlight still dug into her skin. 10 minutes was enough time, right? 
She eased her grip on the inactive light. She wiped the salt off her face. She leaned to peer around the tree trunk that had made a home in her spine. All seemed normal, if normal still existed. The killer had to be way up the trail by now, she told herself. No authorities could find her hiding in the middle of the woods like this, so she might as well start heading toward town again and praying she ran into her friends on the way. She stepped out from behind the tree, half expecting someone to jump out at her when her toe touched the soil, and placed a foot back on the path. Nothing happened. She started back on the path in the direction they'd been heading the whole time. She didn't dare turn on the flashlight, though it provided some semblance of safety there in her grasp. A single droplet of sweat trailed from the nape of her neck down her spine, wandering and getting caught in the divots the tree had made in her body. It tickled. She remembered the sweat on her back at the championship game this May. They were down in the final set, 18 to 22. She didn't know how they could pull it off, but with Molly in position, they stood a chance. She was their best server, and Yana had watched as she tossed the volleyball into the air, stopping time for a moment as it hovered there, suspended by invisible cords. When it came down, she had smacked it open-handed with the force a ten buffalo contained in tan, muscled arms from the long season. Their team scored and scored again. They kept scoring until they won, 25-22. to 22. Yana remembered the way the roaring crowd had faded to the background as she ran to embrace Malia, her savior so many times over. She had joined the team freshman year right when Yana desperately needed someone to lean on, and she stood as a backbone for every group she was a part of. The core four couldn't exist on their own anymore, not without Malia or even Travis. Yana hoped they knew how much they were appreciated. If they were alive. God... She thought back to the day Leighton brought Travis over to Cade's basement for their weekly movie night. She'd been on the fence about him, but he fit them the way a football fit in Cade's hand. By the time she brought Malia to movie night two years later, everyone was ready to welcome a new face again. Lord, she loved her friends. She couldn't fathom the idea of them not being just around the corner, but the force held not a sound besides her breathing. Just when Yana was starting to think nobody was left, a sudden rustling in front of her stopped her heart and made her grip the flashlight harder, readying to swing it. She sucked in air in place of a yelp, as if silence would help at this point. Yada! hissed the person stepping out onto the path. Thank God, Malia whispered, dashing forward and pulling Yana into a tight embrace. Oh my God, Malia, Yana said, voice hoarse from the post-nasal drip that comes with the tears of terror. You're alive! She pulled out of the hug. Have you seen anyone? She asked, eyes wide with a reluctant hope. Cade? Malia's eyes screwed up into that ugly face she always made when she cried, and she shook her head. No one. I don't know where they could be, if they're even... She couldn't finish the sentence. She snapped her eyes back up to Yana's gaze. Did you hear the gunshots? Yana nodded, unable to voice her fears. That if Cade didn't shout in victory, he wasn't the one shooting. Let's keep moving. Malia said, taking Yana's elbow and starting on the tapering path again. We can't be that far from town now. Yana only nodded and followed, grateful for her friend's hand on her elbow. She finally reached back and pressed on the back of her shirt, soaking up all that dreadful drop of sweat. After the two had been walking in complete darkness for a while, Malia glanced at Yana's hand and said, You know, she paused and chewed her lip, I think we can use that flashlight now. 
It would be nice to see where we're going. Yana looked down at the alien lump of metal in her hand. After all this time, it was starting to feel like something from a science fiction movie instead of a piece of camping equipment. The now strangely foreign device was weightless in her grip. If she were to let go of it, she feared her hand might flow away with nothing to anchor it. Yana? Right, yeah, I guess it's been long enough. Yana flipped the switch and squinted at the sudden boom of light accosting her eyes. Up ahead, the trail widened to reveal a clearing with a pile of wood in the center. What the? Yana stepped forward into the clearing, squinting at the wood. Why is this here? Malia just kept walking straight up to the pile. Yana followed slowly, swinging the light around the clearing to make sure nothing menacing lurked at the perimeter. There were strange lines in the grass. It looked like something got dragged through here multiple times. When the light returned to the middle, Malia was right next to the woodpile, hunched over and pulling something out of her backpack on the ground. Was that... was that a small gas can? Malia, what? Yana cut herself off. Malia was straightening her spine. As Yana took another step closer, she realized that the woodpile wasn't just a pile of wood. On top of it, she recognized the glare of an orange tucker hat, a bloody tank top, a pair of glasses, and so many limbs folded over one another, eight eyes like a gigantic spider staring blankly at her, reflecting the beam of the flashlight. Kate's mouth hung open, jaw slack like the moment he first saw her in her prom dress, coming down the stairs, and Malia circled the pile, gas can tipped at just the right angle to soak their friends' bodies and the timber beneath them. Yana let out a guttural scream and scrambled backward, tripping as she turned to run back into the forest. She almost couldn't hear Malia over the sound of her own heartbeat when she said, Oh, Yana, you're just making more trouble. Before she knew it, Thudding footsteps raced up behind her and Malia snaked her arms underneath Yana's, squeezing her shoulders as she dragged her, kicking and scratching, back into the clearing. Yana thrashed and bit, jamming the metal flashlight into Malia's thigh, but nothing slowed her. Malia thrust her right arm from Yana's armpit to her neck, locking her in a half-Nelson, and dragged her the rest of the way to the pile of bodies and wood. She calmly whipped out a rope from her backpack, and tied Yana to several metal stakes in the ground, marking where the woodpile should be for safe bonfires. She started humming her favorite mother-mother song as she pulled the knots tight and made sure the rope was taut enough to hold. She ignored Yana's screams and spit and curses as she resumed her task of dousing the pile in half a tank of gasoline. She left just enough to wash that fruity shampoo smell out of Yana's hair and drown out her screams with a mouthful of petrol. Yana gulped the acrid liquid and tried to speak. Why? But the rest of her sentence lost itself in coughs and gurgles. Malia chuckled to herself. Almost forgot, she said, digging her hand into Travis's jean pocket and pulling out her dead friend's matchbox. I need tinder. Duh. She struck the match and it flared with a hiss and a pop, and she flicked it onto the pile. She stood back for a moment, hands on her hips, and watched her creation burst aflame as the song she was humming reached its crescendo. Then, she turned and swaggered into the forest to the accompaniment of her final friend's piercing shrieks, swinging a set of car keys around her finger. The bright red gas can sat just inside the rule of the fire. Its plastic began to sink into itself, softening and dripping as the flames licked its edges. You could almost imagine it was the one screaming, whimpering now, 
as the voice dwindled along with the oozing shape of the can. Soon, as the piece of plastic melted into a lump unrecognizable, the sound of crackling wood was all that could be heard, with no one left to hear it. The End One of my favorite things about books or movies in general, any plot lines, is when there is a plot twist. And I loved the reveal in the submission that Malia was the villain. That even though this group of six friends thought they were friends, that they actually weren't. And I felt like the story really maintained that fast and gripping tension of who is doing this, why are they doing it, and then ultimately the reveal of who is really doing it. And I feel like I could just totally feel Yana's betrayal as she realized it was her best friend, Malia. I also loved that Malia had this memory of Yana winning the volleyball game and and that you get a clue into all these friends' history before you get to the tragic ending. I felt like it totally built up the tension, built up the sorrow, and then, of course, added to the spookiness as you get to the final line with no one left to hear it. Such a wonderful submission. Thank you so much for submitting. And thank you again to both our selected picks and to all of our submitters for sharing your fantastically spooky stories. We truly appreciate it. Again, your time, your talents, your effort, your words. It means so much to us that you would trust us with your work. And we truly enjoyed looking through it all. So thank you again so much. And we hope you all have a fabulous, fabulous Halloween. Once more, voting will be open until midnight on October 31st. Until then, book lovers. Happy Halloween.